0: how he loves us so thank you Jesus some of you know that I've been working on a book on grace forever about seven years actually and uh, maybe this year I get it finished I don't know. but I keep getting more and more great material come up to me and one of the things in the last number of months that I've realized is that one of the, me- the messages of grace is that because of God's grace, His children are unpunishable. Did you know that? Please hear what I'm saying. Don't, as Barrett would say, hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. I didn't say they're not disciplinable, they're unpunishable. The Bible says the punishment for our sins was taken upon Jesus Christ on the cross. That's every sin I've ever committed and every sin I will commit. Either they're all taken by Jesus, all of them, past, present, future, right? Or I'm somehow responsible for my own salvation, right? And so the punishment, the Bible says in Isaiah even, in the Old Testament prophesied it, the punishment for uh, and chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes. I'm healed. As a believer punishment was taken by jesus for my sin that's an incredible thing now it's an easy to abuse thing right and and so we need to therefore paul would say take a look at your life because so much has been given to you right because so much has been offered to you so much has been released to you this is the second thing i've learned then we of all people on earth are you ready for this and i'm going to put a whole chapter in there about this too should be unoffendable When you realize how much has been forgiven you, how can you walk around with an offense against somebody else? Are you hearing me this morning? And yet the number one thing that causes division and strife in the church is somebody got offended at somebody for something. And in the kingdom, just as you're unpunishable, you should be unoffendable. It should be impossible for somebody to offend you. Now that doesn't mean you wouldn't have a reaction and go, I can't believe they just did that. But the next day, someone asked, I said, did what? You go, you know what? I can't remember. Why? Because I am unoffendable. I'm not going to walk around holding this thing for the next 10 years, let alone five minutes. Are you hearing me? And yet, I, I meet so many people, they can, they can recall every bitter thing that was ever spoken to them over the last decade, and they're still walking around carrying offense. If you're unpunishable, you should be unoffendable. If you have any kind of revelation of how much Jesus has forgiven you, how can you hold anything against anybody else? Someone say amen. Amen. Anyway, more about that to follow. But I'm listening to that song, and I know some people don't like that song. They get a little uncomfortable when it says, you know, heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss, and my heart turns violently inside of my chest. And I can't, don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about it. In other words, I don't have time to maintain any offenses or regrets for things I did or didn't do. Why? Because he loves me. Are you hearing me this morning? And I've had plenty of kisses from my grandkids. kids. And they're all sloppy and wet. And they're the best kind. So I get that song immensely. And every time it happens, something twists and turns inside my chest. I can just imagine how God feels... When we come to Him and give Him our very best, Amen. All right, that's all for free this morning. You can see it. Hallelujah. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Isn't God good? Wow. Well, I do have a couple more announcements. I forgot that this guy walking out of the service right now, Ryan Conroy, is going to be speaking next Sunday. Woo! Come on now. And uh, so. <laughs> uh, Ryan has been uh, diligently doing his Bible school right now uh, online over the last couple of years yes and Chrissy's joined them she's starting to take them now hallelujah come on now and uh, they've been doing an awesome job with the youth over the last uh, year and uh, a bit and we're just so grateful for what's been happening we're looking forward to a great fall and it's gonna be a good year but Ryan uh, looking forward Ryan's got a word on his heart for next Sunday Woo! and it's gonna be good Secondly, I forgot to announce, the GoFundMe for Ken Gill is uh, nationally right now at uh, $17,000 some odd dollars. I just got a text from Mike who's organizing that. And the goal is 35000 Now, here's the thing, though. They haven't received it from us yet because we're still waiting for some of you to give. And uh, we have of over 11000 to put into that right now. Are someone say Amen. But most of that has come from a very large donation from someone. So, you know, there's still room for the rest of us to kick up and, and, and do what we can do. And the goal is 35000 Ken's coming. I, I believe his appointment now is on August 17th. And, uh, and so he's already got that set. He has to stand, convalesce in, in Toronto, I should say. He's not allowed to be traveling, running about. So he's supposed to spend uh, about four to six weeks in recovery. And so none of that's covered. So that's why, if you're wondering why is the GoFundMe so expensive, the procedure is about 20000 25000 and the other is to help cover their costs while he's not able to work or do anything uh, here in recovery. So uh, anything you can do to help, we'd like to get that sent off to them uh, this week. So you can just write on an envelope, Ken, Ken Gill, uh, however you want to spell it, we will get the gist of it, and we'll make sure it gets in there, and we'll get that money out there and added to that in that total. So already they're at about 27000 so we're really well, well on the way. Amen? And so we're very encouraged about that. Praise the Lord. God is good. Amen? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Well, <clears throat> today I want to talk to you about the proton Anointing, the proton anointing. Now you're saying, aren't we talking about the gifts? Yep, we are. And I'm going to talk about the proton anointing. And is that, you able to put that up on the screen there, Gord? There's not a pretty slide. Just look at that road going off on the cliff and the, you know, all that nice mist there in the air. It makes a great place to put the, the words. Uh, proton anointing. Over the last number of weeks, we've been talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. Then we talked about the gifts of the Father which are found in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. And now we're focusing on the gifts of Christ from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. And we're going to continue that focus today by focusing in on one of those gifts that I call the proton anointing. Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 16, it says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers instead speaking the truth in love we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is christ from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each does part does its work i love that passage of scripture and as i mentioned a couple weeks ago when i introduced this set of gifts this isn't about titles. This isn't so you can walk around and, you know, <laughs> you ever seen those Captain Morgan rum commercials? You guys can admit it. If you watch sports, you've seen them, okay? And the person goes, walks in and goes, Captain, 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 Captain. You ever seen those? And, uh, you know, it's, it's as if the title is what makes somebody something. And this isn't about titles, but it's about fulfilling and walking in the works that Christ has given to us, the gifts that Christ has given to us. And when we don't acknowledge certain gifts and we put everything on one gift, we end up with a, a, an untenable system, just as if everybody was captain. How many know that the ship wouldn't work very well if everybody was the captain? Hello? Wouldn't work. If every ensign thought they were the captain, you know, if every deck Schwab thought they were the captain, if every cook thought they were the captain, if every lieutenant thought they were the captain, if everybody thought they were the captain, there would be no actual functioning military at all. And so we recognize that, that God has given gifts for different functions in the body of Christ. And that's what we're looking at here today. And, you know, even though we've got a couple thousand years of history of doing it without that, and in fact creating ones that don't even exist in the Scripture, right, where we've got uh, canons and bishops and archbishops and, and uh, all kinds of terms and titles that we've created and, and made up, you know, positions at uh, superintendents and intendants and all kinds of things that aren't in the Scripture, right? How many know what I'm talking about? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that God doesn't desire for these gifts to be operating in the, in the body of Christ. And for the, these are given to us for the benefit of the body. Christ came, rose from the dead, and he brought these gifts right from the resurrection with him right? Tells us in Ephesians chapter 4. So that Christ had a plan, as soon as he rose from the dead, he had a plan that these gifts would actually propel the church into its future, to prepare God's people for works of service. So the body could be built up till we all reach unity in the faith, so that we may become mature. How many think that would be good for the body to be mature? The future to which God is calling the church is an exciting one. And it's supposed to be a fulfilling one, a radiant one, a powerful one. It's supposed to be stretching and a little maybe unpredictable. Uh, if, if we have everything figured out, then I think our, our God and our church is too small. If we think we have it all figured out, and we've got every little you know, nook and cranny of the kingdom... Boxed and parceled and everything else, how many know that we probably have it too small? Or if one person said, if if all your dreams have been achieved, then your dreams are too small. Hello? There's lots of ways you could word that, but the reality is we need to be continually stretching ourselves and looking outside of ourselves at uh, something that's bigger than ourselves. Another person worded it this way, if you walk into the room and you're always the smartest person in the room, you're hanging out with the wrong people. I like that. That's another way of looking at how we should constantly be seeing ways in which we stretch ourselves to be more than we are, to be better than we are, so that we can grow into something more than we are today, tomorrow. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right. So, first question that needs to be asked as we talk about this gift today. Which one am I talking about? I'm talking about the apostolic gift. And so we'll start by asking, what is an apostle. Here's some interesting things. The word apostle uh, comes from the Greek word, if you can put that up on the screen there, Gord, apostolos. And apostolos is from the verb apostello in the Greek language, which means to send. So, apostolos is a noun and the Greek word, uh, verb, apostello, is what it comes from, what it's rooted in, which means to send. Now, if you've never studied Greek before, one thing you have to understand about Greek is it's a very verb-specific and noun-vague language, completely the opposite of English. English is a noun and adjective-specific and verb-vague language. So in English, we might say, hey, uh, uh, we're going on vacation. The verb, going. The verb can go, going can mean a hundred different things in the English language. It could mean you're going tomorrow. It could mean you're going next week. It could mean you're always going. It could mean you're going crazy. It could mean you're going somewhere in a car. It could mean you're going somewhere walking. How many know, it's ver, we're verb vague, right? Verb vague. We could say, oh, you hit the mark. You hit the ball. You hit, hit. You know, hit could mean a million different things. But our verbs, I mean, our nouns are very specific. We have a a, a word for a notebook, a textbook. We don't just have one word for book. We have, you know, a hundred different ways of describing a book. Now, the Greek language is completely the opposite. The word logos, the noun logos, the word can also mean a conversation, can also mean a a notebook, can also mean a tablet, can also mean, I mean, it's, it's a noun vague language, but it's verb specific It's very verb-specific. In fact, you know, in in, uh, French and and, uh, German, for example, they have masculine and feminine or masculine and feminine noun or or, or neutered nouns, right? Well, they also have that on verbs in in the Greek language. So the verbs have uh, gender. Then they also have... Tense. They also have mood. There are six different modifiers on a verb in the Greek language so that any verb can be written up to 600 different ways specifically expressing what activity is happening at that moment. It's a very verb-specific language. You say, okay. What does that mean? Well, that means all the things that, that affect our life are verbs right? When you, someone gets saved, when we, you know, or Jesus saves someone, that's the word saved, "tyrios" It's a very verb-specific action. What Jesus did when he died on the cross, the language is so specific of what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. And here, once again, the language is very specific. The word apostle comes from the word apostello, which means to send, to commission, to uh, release somebody out into a particular work or activity. As a noun, in the classical Greek, uh, an apostle could be a ship, a fleet, a naval commander; could be any number of things. But in the classical biblical literature, we bring it in to be someone who's one of the fivefold leadership gifts of the church, and it literally means to send or to commission or to release now it's also a translation of a word in the old testament which is uh the word salah so whenever that word appears in the old testament the greek how many know that they translated the hebrew into greek first before it ever got into english right so when they translated the hebrew into greek the word apostella was used for the word salah, which was used over 700 times in the old testament and again it means to stretch out to send to loose. All right? Shows you how common this word was in that uh, language. Why am I saying all this? Because we have a gift in the scripture called the gift of the apostle, and yet we act like they don't exist. We have a word that in the Hebrew language was used over 700 times in the Old Testament, and which is used repeatedly in the New Testament, we ignore its action and its function. I find that bewildering, maybe even bizarre. There might even be a few other words that start with B that describe it. I don't know. Baffling, befuddling. Do you know what I'm saying this morning? This ought not to be the way that it is. The word was not used in the Old Testament, though, to describe missionaries, And you say, why is that? Because there was no call in Judaism to win converts to Judaism, right? You were a people set apart, but there was no idea that you would actually go out and try and convert people to Judaism. People converted to Judaism because they sought it out and came to them and said, we love what your God is doing for you. Can we be part of that, right? And so even in the book of Acts, uh, when the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, the Bible tells us about the Jewish proselytes the people that had converted to Judaism from all over the world who came and heard the apostles uh, on the day of Pentecost speaking the gospel in their own language. However, in the New Testament, everybody say New Testament. Under the New Covenant, a proselytization, missionary work, preaching the gospel is the main focus of our activity. Why is that? Why is there a difference? It's because Jesus Christ is the central difference between the Old Testament and the New. Everything in the Old Testament, every, uh, you know, effort, every sacrifice, every uh, prophetic utterance was pointing toward the one who would come. In the New Testament, we have everything based upon the completed work of the one who did come, which is Jesus. Jesus is the fulcrum upon which history pivots from Old Testament to New Testament. And so because of that, we have a whole different function as people of God today. In the Old Testament, the function of the people of God was to literally keep themselves pure and separate so that the the, uh, ones awaiting for the Messiah would not get deluded or led astray by darkness and sin. But in the New Testament, since Jesus has come, now we have a focus of getting the message out that the Savior is here, the one who can deal with your sin problem, the one who can deal with your uh, issues in your heart and your life, the one who can heal, restore, and fix you has already come, and he's here, and he's offering it to you by his grace. Amen? He's here. So what's that got to do with the apostle? Well... The word apostle is used a lot in the New Testament. Like I pointed out to you last week, the word pastor is in the New Testament once. Did you know that? Ephesians chapter 4 and 11, once. We call everybody pastor. Pastor, 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 pastor. But it's only once in the New Testament. Now the word shepherd, which is a similar meaning to that, is several other times in the New Testament, but the actual title or office pastor is used once. And that's in that verse in Ephesians 4.11. The word apostle is used numerous times. 27, 28 times. 22 different people called apostle in the New Testament. And yet, we never hear about it. We never hear about it. Why is that? Well, we're going to get into some of that this morning. So what was the role of an apostle in the New Testament? What's well, interesting that Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts only referred to Paul as an apostle once, and that was in Acts chapter 14, verse 14. And somebody, some people, some scholars, because of that, have concluded that, you know, apostles were only those who were separated out by Jesus uh, himself, in other words, the original 12, and of which Judas went, and then, you know, um, Matthias, who was picked to replace him, and then, of course, Paul, who had that special assignment. But if Luke looked at it maybe narrowly, maybe he did, I don't know, I don't know that he did, but he only mentioned Paul as being an apostle once, Paul didn't look at it that way at all. If you read Paul's writings, Paul not only proclaimed himself as an apostle, but Paul actually never referred to the 12 disciples as being apostles by themselves, as if they were some kind of a group. And he named some 20 other people as apostles in his literature in the New Testament. And we love to quote Paul when it comes to grace. We love to quote Paul when it comes to, you know, propitiation for sin. Uh, we love when he speaks about the verse, you know, God's grace versus law and all of the deep theology Paul gets into. And yet this same guy is the guy who identified over 20 people as an apostle in the New Testament. Isn't that interesting? He claimed apostolicity for Barnabas, Silvanus, Timothy, Andronicus, Juneus. I mean, many different people. And you can look those all up in the scripture. More importantly, in his letters to the churches, he teaches that the the work of the apostle is part of the overall ministry given to the church for the training and the equipping of the church. Isn't that interesting? So if there originally were 12 disciples, and only one of them, did you know this, only one of the original 12 ever worked outside of Israel. That was Peter. The rest of them all stayed in Israel. So if they were the only apostles, that means God only sent apostles to Israel. Does that make sense to you? No, they were sent out. Paul talks about the gospel being spread by apostolic leadership throughout the entire Asia Minor as these people went forth and brought the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what role did they play? What was the role of an apostle? Well, ultimate authority in the early church belonged to the apostles. They had to make or confirm every important decision. This is seen uh, in the need for the apostles in Jerusalem to settle the issue over circumcision. I mean, there's a decision every apostle wants to make uh, right there. Let's talk about circumcision today, shall we? Acts chapter 15. Uh, They commissioned the seven in Acts chapter 6, 6 to serve the body. So it was those who called them out. So we need people to take over these areas of ministry so that we can continue uh, on the work of spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they also began the ministry of missions to the Gentiles. It was the apostles who went outside Jerusalem, Acts chapter 10, and they began to spread the gospel to the Gentile world. It It was apostles who did that. What were some of the marks of an apostle? They were commissioned by Christ to their office, Galatians 1.1, 1, 1, Romans one five. Their ministry was attended by signs and wonders, Romans 15.9, 2 Corinthians 12.12. 12. I know some of you are trying to get this down, taking pictures. If you need it, I can give it to you afterwards. Uh, they were also not pastoral in their gift, but they were fathers, 1 Corinthians fourteen. One, I should say, fourteen to seventeen. You can again look that up later. Praise the Lord. Or some of the other marks of the apostles? <clears throat> suffering for the sake of the gospel was part of their calling. Now, not suffering for suffering's sake. How many know that there's nowhere in the Bible where it tells us to suffer for suffer's sake? Well, I hear some people like it's like they're so proud of the fact that you know they've got aches and pains. Well, you know, pastor, you can tell. I'm a pretty good person because just look how many aches and pains I've got. Well, were were they from, you know, for the sake of preaching the gospel? Because those are the sufferings that Paul was talking about. That we suffer because we were actually going about the kingdom's business. Not suffering for suffering's sake, but suffering for the kingdom. Amen. And that's clearly biblical. And And there's a score of verses for you about that. But, you know, every time you get sick isn't suffering for the kingdom. Someone say amen to me. Amen. Help me out here for crying out loud. Okay, and then like the prophets, they had a special insight into the mystery of Christ, the scripture tells us. First Corinthians 4.1, Ephesians 3.1-6. In other words, if you read Paul's letters, Paul seemed to understand even better, I think, than the original 12. Because he certainly writes about it more. He seemed to understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross so clearly. Paul. Maybe it was because he had, he had been so steeped in the law. Maybe it was because he'd sinned so hard trying to stamp it out. I don't know. But Paul had such a revelation of what God had done on his behalf. And he presented it so clearly throughout the scripture. And finally, they were literally the first missionaries, the first sent ones. That's who apostles were. They were sent. They were people that were sent out for the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. There's another verse that talks about the apostles and prophets. And I want to turn our attention to that this morning. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. Let's read this verse. It's very similar to the one of Ephesians, but a little different. And uh, we're going to look at this scripture this morning. And it says, And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those of speaking in different kinds of tongues. Now, this, I find this passage fascinating. First of all, let's go back to the Greek language here. Um, the Greek language, another thing about Greek that's very interesting is that you can put all the words in a Greek sentence in any order you want. Did you know that? Isn't that a weird thing? Lloyd, Dan, know what I'm talking about. They, that you could put them anywhere and the only way you can tell what Verb is describing what noun's action is by the ending on the matching, right? And so, in other words, why is that significant? Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, when it says he gave apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors, right? Uh, you could say there's an order there, but not necessarily. Because the order they're written in the, in the sentence doesn't have any significance in terms of an order. You follow what I'm saying? But here over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we're looking at, There is an order because it says in the church God is appointed first. Everybody say first. First. And the ending on that word first and apostle is, is of the same ending. So it's first apostles. So when the translators were translating this text into English, they were able to say first apostles, second prophets, third teachers because of the endings on those words and how they aligned in the sentence structure. Hence why we have the sentence that we have here today. So in other words, there are several things we need to see here. First of all, there was an order to those gifts in Scripture. If Ephesians could be said maybe to not have an order, 1 Corinthians 12 here makes it very plain there is an order. Paul states that he was given, he gave first apostles. And the word for first there is an important word. I want you to see that this morning the word for first in Greek, there are three different words that we uh, translate first that come from the Greek. One is heis, which means uh, first as in one or a unit. Then the second one is monos, meaning first and only, right? And then the third one is protos, meaning first in an order, of something being done, as in, for example, a, a where we get a word from this prototype, something that was a first in a, in a series of products being made. Uh, so that's what, what the word is that's used here in the Greek language. So when it talks about the apostles being first, it doesn't mean they're first in the sense that they're more important than the others. It doesn't mean they're first in the sense that you should love them more or honor them more, but they're first as in that they're the ones that uh, step out. They go first as Ken Gill says a lot of times we need to be willing to what? Go first, not have to be first. And so the gift of the apostle was a gift that was willing to go first. It was the one that went out first. It was sent out. It, it was the one that plowed the way and other gifts could come in behind it. Secondly, prophets and then teachers. And then the other gifts in scripture. So he's, an order, he's establishing not an order of importance, not an order of value, but an order of operation. Everybody say order of operation. That's what's being established here in Scripture. In other words, this is a gift that had to precede others. All right? And if you don't have it that way, we see that in church planting. When we you have people that are apostolically wired and they plant churches, they usually generally succeed. But when we send somebody out as a pastor, right, they don't generally succeed. Why? Because... The pastoral gift is one that was meant to come in and, and, and follow out on somebody who's been able to go out and carve out something new, something fresh, something, uh, you know, that goes somewhere where it hasn't went before. And then the pastoral gift comes in afterwards and takes care of the sheep that that new gift, that new church, that new place, that new ministry has established. That's why I remember a couple of weeks ago, I, I was calling out, you know, Mark Hymas and saying he's actually really an apostle. He's carved out here in Canada a ministry that didn't exist before out of nothing. That's the work of an apostle. doesn't require pastoral gifting to do that. Now, taking care of the children requires pastoral gifting, but have the vision to go out and be able to implement that vision, that requires something different. And that's the gift that God's talking about. We, we've got it so mystified in Scripture that, you know, we think that the apostles were people who walked on water. Only one of them ever did, and then he sank. Right? We, we think that they're people who never made mistakes. Not true. Paul had to step in and, and separate arguments between Barnabas and Mark and all the rest. How many of I'm talking about in the Scripture? They're not perfect. They're just people who were willing to say, hey, there's an area over there. That hasn't been reached yet, let's go there. And they would go and they would do it, and other people would come, a supporting cast would come in right behind them and do it with them. And that's how the kingdom grew and advanced. And that's what God wanted to happen. Hallelujah. So, a missionary, originally, a missionary was an apostle. Nowadays, we have some missionaries that are still apostles. But we also have missionaries that are pastors, teachers, evangelists who are coming in behind in an area in a field that's been opened up already and they're walking in behind that gift and they're operating with that gift. That's great. But the original missionaries, who went, they all went to places that no one had gone before. Just like Star Trek. Boldly go where no one's gone before. Hallelujah. And that could be an area of a town and it could be another nation. It doesn't matter. But God's calling them to step out. They're sent ones, commissioned to step out and to go into that area. All right. Let me move along here. Time is moving fast. So they were not only the first missionaries, they were the releasers of other ministries. That's why first apostles, then prophets, teachers, you know, givers, people who have different gifts of administration, etc., they're all needed. We desperately need all of them. In fact, there may be points in history in the church that you need them more than you might need an apostle or prophet. Because there's a lot of work to maintain the kingdom of God and and maintaining territory you've already taken. Someone say amen. Right? But if we're going to take new territory, we're going to need the giftings to be able to do that. Apostles were also visionaries. And whether it was Peter on the rooftop having his vision, and all of a sudden God said to him, Now you can take, he didn't get up and, you know, have a pork chop after he had his revelation on the rooftop. You guys know what I'm talking about? Of All the unclean things that were lowered to Peter on the roof. And, you know, God said, take and eat. And he was like, I would never touch that stuff. And then God said, you know, if I call it clean, don't you call it unclean, right? He wasn't, you know, when Peter had that revelation, he didn't get up and eat lobster. What did he do? He preached the gospel to the Gentiles because God was telling him that which what had been unclean before is now somebody I want you to minister the gospel to. And Peter got up, he had a vision from the Lord and he said, I should be ministering the gospel to the Gentiles. And away he went, amen? And Peter, in that sense, was the first apostle. And then after him came Paul and many others and they went and they brought the gospel to the whole world. Thank God for apostles. Otherwise, we would not be here today. Are you hearing me this morning? And the whole world was consequently brought to Christ. Praise the Lord. Uh, let Let me just conclude here. All right. A few radical, crazy thoughts. If there were some 22 people listed as apostles in the church as the church got underway, how many think we need more apostles, not fewer, today when there are millions of us? Right? If in the first century church there was at least twenty two people called apostle and they needed that that gifting and operation, how many more think we need that all the more today? I think we do. We need more and more men and women who will just say, I hear God calling me to do something and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna I'm gonna take a hold of that by the grace of God and I'm gonna carve out uh, in an area and we have, you know, I don't know if you've heard of Lance Wall now and the Seven Mountain Strategy or Johnny Enlow and some of the other people that teach about it. But seven mountains of culture, every one of them needs to be reseized by the kingdom of God. And we need people to apostolically enter those areas and retake those places in Jesus' name. Amen? And then we'll need pastors and administrators and prophets and everybody else there, but we need somebody who's going to crack the door open and step in. Amen? All right. I believe that every city needs apostolic leadership or the church of Jesus Christ wanes. I think when we think of uh, apostolic leadership, we need to think of them as Christ does. In other words, the first shall be and the last shall be. So in other words, it's not about ego. It's not about, as Ken said, I don't have to be first. It's not like all of a sudden you show up with something. Oh, the apostles here, everybody make way. No, it's not about being first. In fact, it's about going first. Jesus showed an example to the apostles when they gathered in the upper room, and he, after their long journey, he got out a basin. What did he do? Jesus, the apostolic leader of that group, put a towel around his waist, and he got down, and he washed their feet. He showed them what it was to go first. And then he got up from that place, and he went to the cross. Again, showing what it was to go first. Amen that's the kind of leaders that we need and then thirdly I think I think there's such a thing as apostolic churches churches that are willing to go first this has been an apostolic church we, we celebrated the fact that we paid our mortgage off uh, back in January February right and what was that mortgage originally Tom $450,000 I think took us uh, what, 20, 20 years 18 years to pay it off but do you remember how, many, how much money we sent out during that same time? Do you guys remember that? It was well in excess of a million dollars. I went back and I started adding up all the money that this church sent to empower other people to do the work of the kingdom during the same time. No wonder it took us that many years to pay off $400,000. It took us that many years because we empowered along the way hundreds of people to do the work of the kingdom of god amen we built schools churches bought vans tractors cars we we put people through schools we we sent people to this country to that country we opened up new fields we help uh you know help people get educated do all kinds of things we 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 apostolically functioned the whole time that we were paying off that mortgage that's why it took so many years to pay it off because the mortgage wasn't our focus, the kingdom was. Are you hearing me this morning? And as long as the kingdom stays your focus, then you can accomplish great things. Imagine if we had just sat back and our, our vision was so small that all we wanted to do was to pay off this debt. You know what? I think we'd still have it. We'd never get it paid off. Because we'd have missed the kingdom along the way. And there'd be 20 people here staring into each other's eyes going, how are you today? No. Vision attracts people. People come because they want to be part of that, and they say, you mean we come here, we can help change the world? Yes, you can do that. And yeah, we'll pay a mortgage off at the same time. I mean, come on. If you understand what I'm saying, smile at me or something, you know? (laughs) Amen. What are apostolic churches? They're churches that are willing to go first in their city. They're churches that send... Our sending houses, that they send people all around the world. We have sent people physically from our house to work on the mission field, to serve in the mission field, to serve in other ministries. We're we're a church that's helped start ministries in this city. All kinds of different things that have happened because of people that sit here on Sunday who realize that being a Christian doesn't mean I go to church on Sunday. It means I live as a Christian from Saturday right, right through until, or Monday right through until Saturday when I get back here again. Amen? And then they take it out there. They're giving churches, as I just said. Well, I think it was 1.7 million that we put through into missions into that same period of time. They're, they're churches that get attention. You know, one of the crazy things we did, we, we said, let's, let's give $100,000 to our city and, and help them get a skate park. The skate park started because we stepped up and gave that first $100,000. What did we get? We got a little plaque there on the bowl. We didn't do it because we were going to get anything. But there's so many people that for literally 10 years after that said, oh, you're you're that giving church. That's what they said to me. You're the giving church. People that didn't know church from a monastery or a mosque said, you're that giving church. That's right, because we made an investment in our city. We didn't do it so that someone would pat us on the back. We did it because we knew that skate park was a good thing and somebody had to step up and go first. So we went first. Amen? Just another thing that we... Took us longer to pay our mortgage. (laughs) Uh, They're houses of faith. They believe that we should step out in faith. We don't believe that we should wait till the money's there. We should step out in faith and the money will follow. Are you hearing me this morning? That doesn't mean we're stupid about it, but it does mean we're faith-filled about it. Hello? Then, in spite of their struggles, they're successful churches. That's what apostolic churches are. They get stuff done. And their people get stuff done. And finally, I think this one might even be the most important. Even though they're not necessarily pastoral, they are fathering. One of my favorite scriptures written by the Apostle Paul is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to put that up on the screen. Whoops. Went too fast. Put that up on the screen. Listen to this. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. My battery is getting weak, so I'll back up. Less feedback that way. Listen, folks. One of the things we also is a mark of an, an apostolic church is our fathering church. And we live in a day and age which our culture needs fathers. It's no surprise we have so many men in our church because we're an apostolic church. I've been to churches where ninety percent of the people in attendance are women. That's not the case at Desert Stream. Why? Because we're a fathering church. We have men, we have lots of young men who want to make an impact on other people's lives. They're willing to, you, you might be saying, I'm a, I'm a single mom, and hey, I, I understand that, and you're trying to do the job of both, and you need, you need support, and you need and, you know, people to help in any way they can. We just want you to know that we're here for that. We're not trying to replace a child's birth father, but we are saying that every one of us needs fathers, and we need spiritual fathers. I'm sure that Timothy had a physical father, but Paul became his spiritual father. Timothy wasn't Paul's physical son. He was his spiritual son, as was Barnabas and Mark. And Paul said, you know, you might have many guardians, but, but you have few fathers, and I became your father through the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ. We need to position ourselves as fathers and mothers for our, our community. People who are so lost, they need somebody to show them how to live their life, how to effectively raise children, how to effectively do a job, how to effectively uh, carry financial workloads and all the rest of it. We are the people that are there for them. Amen? That's who we are. Let's stand together this morning. Dead of Stream is an apostolic house, ascending house, a giving house, a house of faith, An attention-gathering house, a successful house, a fathering house. Amen? That's what we're meant to be. And we won't stray from that. We're committed to that path. Amen. And next Sunday, one of the young fathers of the house is going to be here, preaching the word. (laughs) And uh, I'm looking forward to what he's going to bring. It's gonna be a good Sunday. Invite somebody out. Invite. If if people are saying, "Man, I wish, I wish I could find a church with young families in it." Hello. I wish I could have, find a church that they cared about my young people. Hello. Wish I could find a church where you know somebody actually, uh, you know, goes and serves and and they don't get uh, not doing it because they're getting a paycheck. That's definitely Ryan, because the paycheck he gets from here right now is nothing, and the paycheck he gets from work is way better than what he would get if he was working here. (laughs) But they're here serving because of the kingdom. Amen? That's why we're all here serving. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that, Lord, you've given us a, a proton anointing, not just individually, but as a house. An anointing that says, God, we're willing to go first. We're willing to go where nobody else has went before. We're willing to, Father, be there to see the work of the kingdom of God get accomplished. And Lord, uh, Father, that is our, the kingdom, the advancement of the kingdom is our primary focus. Lord, we realize people need pastoral care and we realize that people need love and we realize that people need a teaching and we realize that people need uh, prophetic encouragement and all of that. We realize that and we, we honor all those gifts and we love all those gifts, but we also recognize that, Lord, we are to be about our Father's business, which is advancing his kingdom here on earth. So, Father, help us to be those who are willing to go first. And, Lord, not have to be first, but go first. To step up to the plate and say, here am I, Lord, send me. And Father, we thank you for that today. We pray, God, that these words will, Lord, encourage and strengthen us, Father. And Lord, as uh, Ryan brings the word next week, we pray for Holy Spirit to just fill his heart and his mind. And Father, that as he proclaims what you put on his his spirit, that, Lord, he'd be willing to step out and go first. And Father, we thank you today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Lord bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. It's going to be a great day in the house of the Lord come early. Amen.